0: Heavenly Father, as we pause now to study this, your word, we ask that you would illumine our hearts, our minds, our very spirits and souls, so that we might sense new and fresh meaning that you would impart to us from it today. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Listen now to the word of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Here ends the
1: reading. Thank you, Paul. You do a pretty good Chuck impersonation. That was great. I love Isaiah 61, uh, specifically because God tells us through Isaiah that he's going to send a a messenger who's going to preach good news to the poor. He's going to bind up the brokenhearted. He's going to offer words of comfort to those who mourn. I don't know about you, but I could use some good news. I I could use some words of, of comfort today. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 4, actually identifies himself as this messenger. Last Sunday, Orlando shared with you about how Jesus was able to resist temptation when he was in the wilderness, and, and how, and bolstered by that, he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue, as was his custom, and, and when he gets there, they, they hand him the scroll of Isaiah, and, and Jesus goes to Isaiah 61, and, and we read about it in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, it says... Jesus opens the scroll to Isaiah 61 and begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled on the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Is this not Joseph's son? Joseph was a carpenter, the local carpenter. How is it that Jesus, the son of Joseph, could be so articulate, could be so wise, could be so bold in his reading and preaching of God's word? It's not like he's the son of a a rabbi or a a drama director or a speech coach. I say that because I'm the son of a drama director and a speech coach. I remember the first time I was asked to preach at my hometown uh, in Midland, Texas at the First Presbyterian Church. Now, real quick, this story is not about me and about what a great sermon it was. It wasn't. I was 18 years old. I barely knew what I was doing. It was nothing like what Jesus preached in Nazareth that day. It was it was, it was far from that. But my church back then, that really the hero of this story is my home church, First Presbyterian Church of Midland. You see, it was senior Sunday and I had kind of a small uh, class in my senior year in that youth group and And so our youth director, I'm I'm convinced that the only reason she asked me is because my dad's a drama director and a speech coach, and she knew I had spoken in front of people before. And so she came to me desperate and said, would you please give the senior sermon on senior Sunday? And I explained to her that prom was the night before senior Sunday at my high school. I did not want to give the senior sermon on senior Sunday. But she pleaded, and I thought, well, someone's got to do it. And so I did the best I could. I, I remember, actually, I preached James 2, 23. It talks about how Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God, and how God's our best friend, and we always have God to call upon. That was the best I could do. I didn't even have a personal illustration to use. I had to read something in Guidepost and live life, life long enough to have a personal story. So I read something in Guidepost and read the story to people. And, and they were so kind at the First Presbyterian Church in Midland. They said, oh, that was great. Thank you. You know, you should think about going into the ministry I said, no, no, I think I'm going to finance the gospel rather than preach it. That's why I majored in business, finance, and economics at Trinity University. But it did plant a seed. And that's one of the reasons I'm so committed to making sure that every year we have a Senior Sunday where we can celebrate our seniors as they graduate from high school and and we can lift them up and honor them. And they may not have the gift of preaching, although some might, and we will never know unless we give them that opportunity. But regardless, we want to bless them and encourage them, and that's why we give each one of our seniors, as they graduate, this Reformation Study Bible as a Presbyterian minister. I, I personally believe this is the best study Bible out there. I'm a little biased, though. R.C. Sproul, a Presbyterian minister, is one of the chief editors of it. Uh, but anyway, we give them this Bible, and we sign it, and we give them words of hope and encouragement because we want our children to know that, that we love them, and, and we're here for them, and we're going to bless them as they go out into the real world. It's too bad Jesus didn't grow up at the First Presbyterian Church of Amarillo, it's too bad he didn't grow up at the First Presbyterian Church in Midland because the synagogue in Nazareth was brutal. If you continue to read the passage I just read to you in Luke 4, you'll read that, yeah, initially they were marveled by the words of Jesus. But then Jesus gets going and he starts preaching. He starts saying some things that they don't want to hear. And before long, they're ready to throw him off a cliff. Yeah, Jesus escapes. I guess truly a, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. And so he decides to leave, leave Nazareth and go to Capernaum, which is a town, a village on the Sea of Galilee. We actually have a map to show you the journey. He went from Nazareth to Capernaum. And when he gets to Capernaum, boy, his ministry takes off. I mean, people come from all over to hear Jesus preach in Capernaum. What was it that made his ministry so effective in Capernaum? To find out why people were coming from all over to hear Jesus preach in Capernaum, I would encourage you to open your pew Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 Verse uh, 31 to 44, it may be found on page 1094 of your Pew Bible. Luke chapter 4, page 1094 of your Red Pew Bible. Before I read God's word, let's call upon His spirit again to to guide us in the reading and and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you inspired Luke, the physician, to put pen to paper so that we might have your, your written word today. God, I I pray that as we continue to read your word, that you would would inspire us and and open our eyes and open our hearts, that we might be transformed at the reading and and preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the, the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray and all God's people said, amen. Luke chapter four, beginning at verse 31. Listen to the word of the Lord. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. They were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, to Jesus. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But Jesus rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Herein's the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. People have come from all over the region of of Galilee to hear Jesus speak because his words had power. With a word from his mouth, he was able to cast out a demon. With a word from his mouth, he was able to rebuke a fever that was plaguing Peter's mother-in-law. Yes, Peter obviously had a very good relationship with his mother-in-law. In fact, she lived with them, which would have been unusual. She probably should have lived with one of her own children, but she must not have had a son. And so when Peter assumes that role and allows his mother-in-law to, to live with him. And, and he, along with the others, plead with Jesus that he might heal his mother-in-law, which, which is kind of a miracle, right? Because many son-in-laws don't get along with their mother-in-laws. It uh, reminds me of the story. There was a man named George who went on a vacation to the Middle East. They wanted to go to the Holy Land. He, he brought his whole family. He even brought his mother-in-law. They were taking this strenuous tour of the Holy Land with a lot of hiking and moving along. And unfortunately, his mother-in-law died on the trip. And so he went to the American consul with the death certificate and said, I need to ship my mother back to the United States for a, a proper burial. And the American consul said, well, it's gonna be very expensive. It's gonna cost you know, close to $5,000. Most people, when their relatives die here in Jerusalem, will just simply bury their family member here. It costs about $150 to do that. It's much cheaper. But George thought about this for a moment. They said, I don't care the cost. I want to send my mother-in-law back to the United States to give her a burial there. And the American consul was so impressed. He said, "Man, you must have really loved your mother-in-law. That's—I mean—the difference between five thousand dollars and one hundred fifty dollars. I've never seen anyone take that up, uh, do that offer before. You must really love her a lot." And George confessed, "Well, not really. You see, many, many, many years ago, there was a man who died here in Jerusalem, and they buried him, and he rose on the third day." I don't want to risk that happening with my (laughs) mother-in-law. Jesus came to heal everyone, even Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus, with a word from his mouth, is able to cast out demons. With a word from his mouth, he is able to rebuke fevers. There is not a disease that Jesus cannot heal. The people are so impressed with Jesus, they all begin to bring their sick friends, and everybody who has an illness comes to Jesus because he preaches with power, with power he's able to heal. And the people, well, they wanted to stay in Capernaum, make this your home base, Jesus stay here, don't leave, as we read in in verse 42, and the people sought him and came to him and and would have kept him from leaving them. And their self-centeredness and their focus on what they needed from Jesus, they said, Jesus, you can't leave here. And their selfishness, the people of Capernaum don't want to share Jesus with anyone else. No, no, Jesus, this is your town. You stay here. They want to keep Jesus in Capernaum where he can heal their sick and minister to their needs. They aren't worried about the other villages that Jesus may need to minister to. No, no, Jesus, you're here. Stay with us. Minister to our needs. We're not worried about the needs of others. Sadly, many Christians in America can have that same internal focus if we're not careful We can be so internally focused on how Jesus ministers to our needs that we're not aware of the fact that Jesus came to meet everyone's needs. We can sometimes miss the fact that even, even in the midst of pain that Jesus may want to use us to help minister to the needs of others. We can be so focused on our pain and our hurts and our needs and our wants and how Jesus needs to meet our needs that we don't realize that God actually came to send his son to meet everyone's needs and he wants to use us to be an instrument of helping minister to the needs of others. When I was the singles pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Houston, I was blessed to get to know a man, a single man named Walter Light. Walter was very involved with this ministry called Refurbishing Together that helps uh, refurbish dilapidated homes. And Walter was explaining to me that he's been involved in over 100 homes, refurbishing over 100 homes. And, and he got involved with this uh, several years ago when uh, Tropical Storm Allison hit Houston. And over 70,000 homes in Houston were flooded through Tropical Storm Allison and Walter explained to me that sadly right before tropical storm Allison hit Houston he had a, a storm of his own hit his own life you see Walter went through this very painful and devastating divorce at the time Walter felt like his life had fallen apart completely everything that he thought to be true had seemed to be a lie he wasn't exactly sure who he was his life was falling to pieces and he went to church at First Presbyterian Church in Houston and, and there was a Sunday where they asked for some volunteers and said, if you're handy at all, we could really use your help. So many homes have been flooded in our community. There's this ministry called Refurbishing Together that we're gonna partner with and we just need handy people to come on out and help. And well, Walter knew he's an engineer. He's kind of handy and so he thought, well, I'll, I'll volunteer. And Walter told me that he began to refurbish these homes and he began to focus on helping minister to the needs of others. And with tears in his eyes, he told me, That by helping rebuild these homes, God helped rebuild his life. By ministering to the needs of others, God helped him see that it wasn't about him and his own pain. It was about God's love and his grace and how he, even in the midst of pain, could be an instrument of grace to others. Yes, God gives us comfort and strength as we seek to minister to the needs of others. Unfortunately, many churches in America are are focused on themselves and not on how they can minister to the community. Churches can easily focus on, well, how many people were in worship on this last Sunday? How many people were in Sunday school? How many people came to our Wednesday night programming? How's our giving? What's our budget? How's our new members? Are, Are we growing? Are we meeting all these different measurements of success within our local church? Rather than thinking about how are we ministering to the community? How are we blessing others in light of the fact that God has blessed us? If we as a church only focus on our own programs and our own needs and our own wants, then we really won't be fulfilling the great commission of making disciples of all nations, of going out and ministering to the needs of others and so that we might point others to Jesus. As a part of ECO, our new denomination, we often talk about the the fact that missional churches are churches that are internally strong, but they're externally focused. They're focused on how they can be Uh, get a blessing to the world around them. How God can use our church to minister to the needs of others both locally and globally. That's one of the reasons why we have a church, as a church have committed 15% of our operating budget in 2017 to go to local and global missions. Like Abraham, we recognize that we have been blessed to be a blessing, and so we want to bless others. We want to help minister to the needs of others so that the name of Jesus can be lifted up, not just in this sanctuary, but around the community of Amarillo and around the world. I don't know if you're aware, but we, we've gone from 12 missionaries, global missionaries six years ago, to 24 by putting our resources back into the area of missions. Monday night, I had the opportunity to volunteer at Heal the City. It's at the old YMCA that's now, you know, that's in the San Jacinto neighborhood. And this is run by our own Dr. Alan Keister. It's a great ministry. It's on Monday nights. You can show up around 4.30 and... You can do a myriad of things. If you'd like to work with children, you can uh, go to this playroom they have where kids color. You can just color with kids. Virginia Maynard does that almost every Monday night. Uh, You can join her in that as these kids wait to see a doctor or as they wait for their parents to see a doctor. You can simply greet people as they come in and, and, and offer words of encouragement to folks. Or you can do what I do. You you can actually go and pray with people. They give them a little card and they said, if you'd like prayer requests, check this box. And and everyone who checked the box, I met with and I prayed for. But I I didn't stop there. I even started talking to other people and and started praying for them. And it was so impressed. I was so impressed because the people were so grateful to receive this free medical care that Heal the City is now offering. Each one of them had a different story, a different complicated illness that required certain medication. And each one of them had a different story about why they weren't able to afford that medication today, why they didn't have insurance, why they were unemployed or underemployed. Maybe they're part-time employees and they can't get the insurance they need to cover these costs. And so they were so grateful, so grateful for this free medical care. And every time I asked someone, can I pray for you, whether they checked the box or not, I would ask them, can I pray for you? Every single one of them said yes. Yes been my experience that the poor are some of the most receptive to the gospel of grace so willing to hear the good news of God's love so open to God's healing notice in Isaiah 61 verse 1 that Jesus quotes and reads from in Luke chapter 4 Jesus says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor Jesus wasn't come, didn't come to this earth simply to speak to the religious elite of his day. He didn't come simply to speak to the affluent. No, he came to preach to the poor, to bless them, to give them hope. It's been my experience, the poor are the most receptive to the gospel because life has humbled them. They're desperate for God's help. As Jesus says at the very beginning of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on Mount, the, the very first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates Matthew 5, verse 3, that same verse. He says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. When we're at the end of our rope, when we're at the end of ourselves, at the end of our own internal resources, that's when we're most open to the good news of Jesus. That's when we're most open and receptive to the healing words that Jesus came to bring. And who doesn't need the good news of Jesus? Romans 3.23 tells us and the world testifies to the fact that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, in Psalm 51, we read that we're born sinful. We have a sinful nature that left to its own is prone to wander from God. Now, it's true that in Genesis chapter one, we were all created in the very image of God and that we were very good. But the reality is beginning with our first parents, Adam and Eve, and their original sin of eating the, uh, the forbidden fruit, we have now inherited a sinful nature that left our own is prone to wander God, wander from God, prone to reject the ways of God. But the good news of the gospel is that God loves us too much to abandon us in our sin. Now he became one of us. He, he sent his one and only son to be born as a baby in a lowly manger. And, and this boy grew up and he, and he began to teach us and he began to heal us as we're reading about Luke chapter 4. And ultimately he came to this earth to die for us as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, to let us know the full extent of his love. Then on the third day he rose again conquering sin and death on our behalf. It's if we ever wonder if God loves us, we simply need to look at the cross of Christ and there we will see. God says, I love you. God loves you, Paul Fredrickson. God loves you, Alan Kervich. God loves you, Perry Williams. God loves you, Doug Woodburn. God loves each one of us with an unconditional sacrificial love God doesn't love us this much he loves us this much no greater love is there than this than a man who's willing to die for his friends Jesus says in John chapter 15 yes God loves us and he's given us this good news and and this atoning sacrifice for our sins allows us to have a new life the assurance of eternal life and a new life in Jesus if we'll simply believe in him Yes, we're saved by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. In the gospel of Jesus, we have the solution to the world's sin problem. As different evangelists often point out with a contemporary illustration, if you had a friend or a family member or a coworker or a neighbor or a classmate who was diagnosed with cancer and you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you offer it to them? It would be cruel not to share the cure if you have the cure. Friends, we have the cure. We have the cure to the world's sin problem in Jesus Christ. We have the antidote. It's Jesus. It's cruel for us not to share that good news. It's the gospel of grace is meant to be received, but it's not simply meant to be received, it's meant to be shared. When was the last time you shared the good news of Jesus with somebody. I know what we're all thinking here. Yeah, Howard, but this is Amarillo. I think everybody has heard the good news of Jesus, right? We live in Amarillo, Texas, and we're in the buckle of the Bible belt. If someone really wants to know about Jesus, they can Google him, right? Well, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. Now there are some great web pages about Jesus on the internet that are great evangelistic tools, but the reality is that, I don't know about you, but I have a hermeneutic of suspicion when it comes to the internet. Just because I read something on the internet doesn't necessarily mean I believe it. Now in this postmodern world where truth is relative, the most impactful thing, the, the, the best thing we can do is to tell others about how Jesus has changed our lives. No one can deny your personal testimony when was the last time you shared with someone how jesus has made a difference in your life because i guarantee you that as jesus was healing people from their diseases and casting out demons in capernaum these people who had been healed went out and told their friends this man named jesus this carpenter from nazareth he's healed me you got to go see him they told him with the passion that made everybody come and see who is this jesus it's the grace of God that we find in Jesus Christ is not simply meant to be received, it's meant to be shared. Who is God calling you to point to Jesus today? Now notice that after Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, which is unprecedented, nobody else had ever healed a mother-in-law before, that was great news. After he healed his mother-in-law, and I love my mother-in-law, if she hears this sermon, I do love you, Jeannie Brownie. But uh, after he healed his mother-in-law, immediately she begins to serve others the most appropriate response to the gospel of grace is to put faith into action and begin to serve others that gives power to our words as jesus tells his disciples in the gospel of mark chapter 10 they're beginning to argue with each other before they come into jerusalem who's going to be the greatest who's going to sit at his left hand and who's going to sit at his right and jesus gets them together and says no you've got it all wrong And in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 to 45, Jesus says this, and Jesus called to them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We serve others in gratitude for what God has done for us. And in serving others, we win a hearing for the gospel. People don't care how much we know until they first know how much we care. Who is God calling you to serve so you might point others to Jesus? Now notice in Luke chapter 4 that after doing these amazing miracles... Jesus goes away to a desolate place where he might be alone with his heavenly father in prayer, solitude, and silence. If we're not exactly sure who it is God is calling us to serve and how God wants to use our gifts to minister to the needs of others, we need to spend some time in solitude, silence, and prayer and call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to to lay on our hearts who it is he wants us to serve. And if we'll do that, and God will begin to impress on our hearts how he wants to use us, each one of us, to minister to the needs of others. And as we seek to serve others, then our message of the transforming love of Jesus Christ will have power, and people will be open to what we have to say. As people came from all over to hear Jesus preach, not just because he was eloquent or wise, but because his words had power. We may not have the ability to heal others. We may not have that gift. Maybe someone here does, praise be to God. I don't have that gift. But I do know that all of us can have words that have power in them. If we'll put our faith into action, serve others, win a hearing for the gospel, and then point them to the one who came to serve us all. Thanks be to God for the sacrificial love of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May we seek to serve others so that we can point them to him. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the model of servanthood that Jesus has given to us, and we confess that we may not know exactly who we're supposed to serve or how we're supposed to serve but Lord we know you'll give us direction so Lord we want to take the time that Jesus did if he needed to be alone with you in prayer solitude and silence how much more do we need to be alone with you to hear from you to guide us to lead us so that we might serve others so that our message might have power Lord we want to speak the good news of God's love but we also want to demonstrate the good news of God's love by your Holy Spirit equip us and use us each and every day so that our words will have power. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ. And all God's people said,